I like your little, uh, your, your little story of the, the, uh, I guess it's kind of like the trip, the journey of the red blood cell when it leaves the donor. Yeah, although it has a really bad end because it's well, floating and doing its business and then <laughs> suddenly these cells appear and you're like, you're floating down this red river and you're like yes. closer and closer and suddenly they start attacking you. That's not very nice after no. you do your work. Sorry for saying Sorry Media presents the Purr Podcast, the best podcast for feline medicine and surgery with tips, tricks, and updates for the entire veterinary healthcare team. If you're dying to know more about cats, keep on listening. Here are your hosts, Dr. Susan Little, famous cat vet and textbook author, and Dr. Yola Kirpenstein, talented surgeon and social media geek. Hi, this is Dr. Susan Little. And Dr. Yola Kirpenstein, and this is the Purr Podcast. It is. Live from Las Vegas. <laughs> well, you're live from Las Vegas. I'm, I'm still in Canada. You're still leave. stuck in Canada. I can't get out. <laughs> no, and it's amazing the difference between what happens here and, you know, yeah. one border above what happens there. Yes, it's true. So the, the pandemic still has most Canadians um, staying at home. Um so I think we're still not allowed to go to the U.S. unless it's essential travel. But the big issue is getting back into Canada. That's the hard part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you can go to the U.S., but then you never can come back, <laughs> at least for now. So I mean, the U.S. things are opening up again, and then they're closing, and then they're opening yes. again. But here I'm at the WVC, uh, which is happening today for the first day and then for yeah. the next three, four days. Wow. And I would guesstimate just about 40, 50% of the people here that we normally would see. Yeah. And everybody's masked, but, you know, things are open, you know. Yeah. If I look at the casinos, everything is open and everybody's yeah. walking. Does it make you nervous? A bit, yes. Yeah, a bit yes. nervous. Yeah. Because, you know, yeah. If you're vaccinated, the chance that something will happen is very, very small, but still, yeah. you know, with the yeah, Delta variant, you never know. And I had a very good friend, as a matter of fact, that uh, got, uh, you know, got COVID after he was oh. vaccinated. So, yeah. And uh, so it, it's scary. I think it's it's uncomfortable. Let me say that. So, in a way, I don't feel uncomfortable. In another way, I do. So, it's kind of this up and down thing. But, yeah, it, you know, it must be mixed emotions, right? Because we're, we're, you know, I'd love to be able to go back to some of the events that you and I go to like every year. Yeah. Um, I really miss, you know, I miss going to them. I miss, miss our colleagues, but on the other, on the other hand, you know, it makes you nervous to think of doing it. So. Yeah. It's crazy. It's very uh, double. If you yep. think about it, but. maybe next year, maybe 2022 will be better. I hope so. I hope so too. 2022. Yes. Two. Yeah, yeah, that's what we're that's what we're focusing on. So, I haven't uh, seen you in person for over a year now. The last place I crazy. saw you in person was in Washington D.C. We were at the um, American Association of Veterinary Medical Colleges, right? AAVMC. Yes, that's yep. correct. Yep. That's correct. We went. We went to that meeting, and uh, COVID was just kind of becoming a thing. Then. And I went to Denmark and then I had to scramble yep. back from Denmark back yes. to the US because COVID suddenly was a thing. Yes, I know. <laughs> I know. So I've only seen you like on, on Zoom for a year and a half, which is really weird for us. We never go that long without. I mean, you're older now. <laughs> oh, hello. 
<laughs> I think you're a little older too. <laughs> no, I. That's what I said. I am a year older. Oh, you said I'm a year older now. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I know. Oh well, someday it will end, and we'll. Yes, yes. We'll be able to get our our craziness back together in person. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So you know, on the other hand, I had a year where it was relatively quiet travel wise. So I had a lot mm. of time to do other things. That was the positive part of it. So you always have to find something positive. But I'm ready <laughs> to start traveling again. So now I am traveling, and I like it. It's nice to be back in an airplane and nice to see yes. people, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But you still have to be very, very careful. But that's not what we're going to talk about, Doctor Susan. No, no, that was a bit of a of, of a segue, a, a wistful learn, yearning for. Uh, for the old times when we when we could travel. So yes, yeah, so what we have to talk about is finish our discussion about the guidelines that exactly were it. released. Um, uh, and the, these are the ISFM, the International Society of Feline Medicine, um, released their guidelines this year on collection and administration of blood and blood products in cats. So uh, we, started talking about this and I think we we talked about like blood types in mm -hmm. in cats and we talked about picking blood donors and getting getting blood from those donors and uh yeah and so and we I think we left off the last last episode with a bit of a cliffhanger uh and that was can you give dog blood to cats mm -hmm. that's a good cliffhanger huh that was a good cliffhanger and so yeah. do you want to give the answer already or are we going to give the answer at the end of this podcast i don't know what what, what do you what do you want to do do you are you are you just dying of curiosity and you, like, yes. you need the answer right now yes. because that's what cliffhangers do so you're <laughs> like oh my gosh the next episode will tell me and then if you have to wait for like three hours before the answer comes <laughs> it's not good so let's do it okay so for everybody who tuned into this podcast only to listen to the part about whether you can give dog blood to cats, um, we'll, 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 we'll talk about that now. And then, then like, you know, we hope you stay for the rest of the episode, but you know, you can leave. Exactly. Yeah. So the short answer is yes. Ooh, really? It, it, but it, but it's yes, but. Yes. There's always a but. Of course. Right. Yes. Yeah. So. Yes, you know, in, interestingly enough, if you look in the veterinary literature, there's articles going back, oh, uh, the better part of 10 years. Wow. Yeah, on, on this topic. And I first heard about it probably well over 10 years ago. Um, and, I, and I thought, like, why, why would you want to give, A, why would you want to give dog blood to cats? Right. But, you know, you have to stop and realize that you don't always have cat blood available or the right kind of cat blood available, mm -hmm. right? And there's certainly lots of um, countries that just don't have access to, you know, as many as many uh, tools and, and things for veterinary medicine as we do in, in Canada and the US. So, and, you know, what if you need it like in an emergency and, you know, stuff like that. So, so yeah, I, I you know, you can see, uh, why sometimes people would uh, would say, well, there's a dog here. Can I just give the dog blood, you know, right to this cat who's hemorrhaging to death or, you know, was hit by a car or, uh, or, or something like that. So, yeah. So I'm sure it was sort of um, necessity, this idea of uh, necessity 
So but what I don't, don't understand then, uh, not to interrupt you, but what I don't understand then is that one, we have to be careful with cats because they might have antibodies, you know, to blood yeah. products. We talked about that last time or blood yeah. types. And now suddenly you just throw all that out of the window and say, oh, just give dog blood. Well, you know, they have pre-existing antibodies, but they're to feline blood types, not canine blood types. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so that's, what's tricky when you're, when you're giving blood transfusions to cats. So they're not going to have an incompatibility to a canine blood type, but they certainly could have, um, I guess, minor incompatibilities, right? There's a, Oh, if you cross match cats, you do a, a major and a minor cross match. Um, and there's probably all kinds of proteins that that cats could react to that have nothing to do with uh, with blood type. Right. So. So, yes, they certainly could have reactions. And, it, and in fact, it's not that uncommon. So there's quite a few cases published in the literature of giving dog blood to cats. And some cats do get um, transfusion reactions. Um, uh, so, you know, of course you should do a cross match, of course, um, to, to, uh, to try to try to predict those, but probably the, the other major limitation of giving dog blood to cats is that of course it doesn't take cats very long for their immune system to, system to go, Hey, wait mm -hmm. a minute, that's a dog red blood cell <laughs> floating around there. <laughs> and then their immune system, of course, starts making anti- canine uh red cell antigen uh antibodies right so so right. they do like that so the donate the, the blood the transfused blood the canine transfused blood um tends to only give the cat some benefit for a couple of days and then an immune response is mounted and you get a um, hemolysis of the so of the so then cells. i'm a little canine red blood cell you know and yes. erythrocyte canine erythrocyte <laughs> And I'm yes. swimming around in the dog body, going from one little vein to the other. And I'm grand all time. And suddenly this big needle appears and I'm like <laughs> sucked into this needle. I'm, I'm put into this big bag and I see my floating around with all my little brothers and I'm like, and sisters. And I'm like, what am I doing here? And suddenly <laughs> I'm dripping through this little infusion thing down, down, down. I have to jump into a little container and I go more down, 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 down. And suddenly boom, I'm into this vein. I'm like, oh, thank heavens i'm back <laughs> in my favorite animal the dog and suddenly i'm like this doesn't smell correct you right. know? it doesn't look this, right it doesn't look right <laughs> i mean everything is a lot smaller and you yeah. know all these my brothers and sisters have changed suddenly and and so how does it does an erythrocyte then just go like okay whatever i'm just going to work okay there's the lungs oxygen okay keep yep. on swimming or yep. you know so the erythrocytes if there would not be a reaction against it is does that mean that so a risk erythrocyte would just work they seem to yeah yeah if they're wow. not attacked by the immune system they seem to be and they do they do their job for for at least a couple of days until mm -hmm. the immune response is uh, is mounted so and then you don't expect a huge hemolysis because then everything is, you know. Yeah. Yes, it doesn't go immediately. So no, you know, no, no. So you, you you don't tend to see these sort of acute fatal hemolysis reactions yeah. um, that that uh, that you might see, but um, uh, but there's limited benefit to to be had by transfusing the dog red blood cells. So I, you know, I guess it 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 remains in that little area of oddities of veterinary medicine. So. 
you know, if your cat's going to die otherwise, um, I guess it's something you could, you know, and you have no other way of getting cat blood. I guess it's something you could pull out of your back pocket, but these guys are going to Can you imagine how many little cats you can feed by tapping a great dane? Oh my goodness, that that's like a lot of blood, right? Cat <laughs> blood transfusions for cats are like way smaller, right? Than the amount. So that will be a good question. Question: How many kittens can you get blood uh, from a you know <laughs> official bloodletting of a Great Dane? Yeah. That the Great Dane still stays alive, of course. So how much yep. blood we you get, and how many little kittens can you give blood? That's a lot of kittens. It's a lot. Yeah. So in, in our show notes, um, I'll put a link to a couple of recent articles on the ins and outs of transfusing canine blood to cats for, for people who, um, yeah, who are curious and, uh, and want to know more. There's, there's actually quite a few articles in the literature. There's, and, there's and one. So what um, is the official name of it? Zeno, oh, the good, good. Mm -hmm. Zeno transfusion, X. E-N-O transfusion, Zeno transfusion. Yeah. There's actually a case series of like 49 cases of cats that were given canine blood in the article that just came out last year. Yeah. And the article. Yeah. So Zeno is an other species. And then yeah, Zeno, I guess, means other, right? Yes. Yeah. And then Elo yeah. is a different cat. And Otto yeah. is yourself. Yes. Exactly. Mm. Yep. You know, you learn every day, Zeno transfusion, <laughs> the word yeah. of the day. Word of the day. There you go. Yes. Yeah. So that's the answer to can you give dog blood to cats? So, yeah. So we should probably pick up. I, I like your little, uh, your, your little story of the, the, uh, I guess it's kind of like the trip, the journey of the red blood cell <laughs> when it leaves the donor. <laughs> Yeah, although it has a really bad end because it's well, floating and doing its business and then <laughs> suddenly these cells appear and you're like, you're floating down this red river and you're like yes. getting closer and closer and suddenly they start attacking you. That's not very nice after no. you do your work. Yeah, well, even, even red blood cells from cats transfused into other cats, even if it's a good match, those red blood cells have a shorter lifespan, mm -hmm. you know, than one that then that, that, that the cat produces itself. So there's, yeah, so there, it, it's always a shortened lifespan for those poor red cells, right. Yeah. That, that get, uh, that get donated, but they could save a life. So that's it. Yeah. That's it all. That's yeah. what it's all about. So, so uh, let's talk a little bit about, so we, I think last time we talked about the cats that gave the blood. So the mm -hmm. donors, we never talked about, and then what we do. So yeah, now we have a bag of blood. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I guess it depends on your kind of practice, whether you're collecting and giving it kind of right away, or mm -hmm. if you have the ability to collect, process and store blood, um, which I think only some of the bigger practices or the tertiary care centers um, probably do. I think probably most veterinarians, when we collect blood and we're going to be giving it, you know, virtually right away, I, I would imagine that's certainly what happens in my practices. We're going to give it right away. So, um, but if you uh, are able to buy blood products or you're mm -hmm. able to process and store them in your own practice, it kind of depends on your equipment. But, you know, you might be able to have whole blood. You might be able to have fresh plasma if you've got the equipment to separate um, or fresh frozen plasma, you know, that's that's stored. So there's a number of different blood products, even platelet rich plasma 
um, that that can be derived from from bug collection. The, the problem with cats, of course, is remember you can only get so much blood from a cat. You know, yeah. typically, the most you can get from your you know even even a good size tomcat is probably sixty mils. Mm -hmm. um, and so, if you try to process that into uh, plasma or platelet-rich plasma, you know, you're going to be left with not very much product, right? Because you're only starting with 40 to 60 mils. Yeah. So, so that's a, you know, a bit of a limitation and, um, and that, you know, that's why typically you're only going to get something like, like a fresh frozen plasma from a, a blood bank, if they even do that, because, you know, think of how many cats have to give blood to have a unit or even half a unit of uh, a fresh frozen plasma. But, you know, I, I guess the good thing is that most of the time um, we're, go we're going to be fine with a whole blood transfusion in, mm -hmm. in cats anyway. Yeah. Most of the time, you know, there, there are times. Especially when it's fresh. So. Yeah, exactly. There, there are times when it would be nice to have like uh, fresh frozen plasma. If you, you have a patient who's bleeding a lot from a, a, a coagulopathy um, or uh, I don't know, some coagulation disruptions because of liver disease um, or neoplasia, you know, some of these situations and you mm -hmm. might say, well, I'd really rather have plasma. I don't actually need the red cells, right? It's just, it's the plasma proteins that I need. Right. But again, that, you know, the reality is for most of us, we're, we're going to give fresh whole blood um, in mm -hmm. those, in the, like a, and um, rodenticide toxicity, like those types of things. Yeah, it would be nice to be able to give just a, a fresh plasma or fresh frozen, but it's, you know, it's hard. And, and there aren't a lot of indications for like platelet rich plasma um, in cats. So I'd have to say most of the time we're fine giving whole blood to cats, but, which is good news, right? Yeah. <laughs> Why do difficult when you can do easy? Yeah, it's good because it, it's within the realm of, of possibility for pretty much any vet practitioner should be able to safely collect and administer um, uh, whole blood, fresh whole blood um, to cats. That's, yeah, that's well within everybody's capabilities. So I have a question for you. So when you tap the blood from that cat and you take 60 mils, do you give them fluids to compensate for that? Or how do you deal with that? Yeah, I think we talked about that a little in the first part of this podcast in, in taking care of the, of the donor. Um, and so certainly probably most people would give that donor cat an equal volume of, uh, of a crystalloid fluid, um, most likely, right? Because, you know, you don't want to cause hypotension just through volume depletion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so m most people would be uh, transfusing, not transfusing, sorry, infusing. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, probably a, a, a crystalloid um, in, uh, in that case. Yeah. You know, not during the, the donation, but at the end, like you would start yeah, yeah. that at the end of donation. Um, some people will do it IV. Some people will just give it sub Q too, you know? So again, you're all, they're only giving up 40 to 60 mils. And if you've got the right donor, then they're, they're going to tolerate it well, but you know, safety comes from, um, taking these extra precautions. So the ISFM guidelines are really great because they actually give you all kinds of, uh, it's really practical. So they've got mm -hmm. all kinds of advice and even um, images about uh, exactly how to do um, a whole collection and giving protocol right down to like pictures of equipment. There's videos mm -hmm. attached, you know, that yeah. to the guidelines that you can follow. They talk about the best type of uh, drug protocols for sedating the donor. So 
you know, it's, it's, uh, it's really practical set of guidelines. <clears throat> and uh, so, I, you know, I'd, I'd encourage all of our listeners to go have a look at those for a little bit more than what, than what we can, you know, probably cover in a, uh, in a podcast um, or, or two. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, so we should talk a little bit about giving blood to the recipient, I guess. Yes. So oh. you've got, you need to get venous excess, obviously. So you put it yeah. in a catheter and it doesn't matter yeah. where, wherever you can get it. And then you start the blood transfusion. Can you just dump it in there or what do you yeah. need to do? Well, probably you should first try to guesstimate how much blood you need. Mm. Right. And so there's a formula that probably all of us learned in vet school and then promptly forgot, which that's mm-hmm. certainly me. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is a formula that uh, where you you can calculate how much blood you have to give to a cat to give a to get a given percentage increase in PCV, right? So if you want like right. a you know a ten percent or a fifteen percent or twenty percent increase, then there's yeah. a little formula where it's it's you know it's actually quite simple, but I always I always forget about it. It's the volume, or you you predict the PCV increase by the volume of blood transfused divided by two times the body weight. And who came up with that? I have no idea. It's been around (laughs) since time began. You know, it's, it's probably, there's actually a couple of different formulas. There is actually a study on the formulas that we use to predict the PCD increase. Of course there is. And of Of course, course, well, actually, you know, maybe I'm geeky. (laughs) Yeah, you are. Yeah, yes. but it, it's a great little study, actually. And it pointed yeah. out that there isn't a formula that that is really good at predicting what your PCV increase will be, actually. Yeah. Um, but of all the formulas out there, that old, simple one we all learned in school is the best of the bunch. So I think we can delete the maybe in <laughs> maybe I'm geeky. Yes, you are. <laughs> So thank you very much. So a PCV percentage of increase is the volume of blood transfused divided in mils, divided by twice the The body body weight weight in kilograms. So it's not in pounds, it's in kilograms. So this is all metric. Yep. And that's supposed to predict the percentage increase in PCV. But, you know, again, if, if, like, if you've been in veterinary medicine, as long as Yola and I have, and you've done more than one or two of these, you'll know that it's not that great of predictions, no. <laughs> right? So, you know, I'll usually use that at least to give me something to start with. It tends yeah. to underpredict. I, I find, it tends to underpredict. So I'll, I'll do that. It always, it always looks better on paper. It does. Yeah. So I'll just usually do that to give me a starting amount and then I'll, you know, I'll just kind of uh, um, adjust from there. So, so there's that. And then, you know, you, you um, also want to, you want to have the the right equipment. Um, so you, it, uh, I, I think we mentioned in the last episode that you should have a blood giving set, um, and they look like just regular IV sets. The difference is that they contain an inline filter, and mm. that filter is you know meant to take out um, the clots that you can't see. Yeah, so they're it's safest to now. I, I have to say that I think the exception to that is when you've got, you know, one of those little flea bite anemia kittens and he needs like one mil of blood, like right mm-hmm. now. Um, okay. Yeah. Right. I usually just draw a mill of blood and give the mill of blood without, yes. of course we would, we would uh, want to at least do a major cross match. Right. But mm-hmm. um, you, you're not, you're not going to put a mill of blood through a filter. So 
yeah. <laughs> so, so the vets are kind of off when you're doing those little, little kittens that just need a mill of blood, right. Yeah. To, so they can live to see another day. So, yeah. And yeah. But otherwise okay. you need good, you need the right equipment for safety. So what about transfusion rate? How fast hmm. do we do this? Um, do you, do you, do you, re do you remember? I, I don't, I don't know if there's a number. I think it's, I think the idea is that you just, I don't think there's a number. I, you can I bolus that, in the beginning. I think it's 0.5 mils per kilograms per Oh, hour. as a bolus? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And then you have to decrease it to one mil per kilo, which is the normal, you know, amount that you would put mm -hmm. in for fluids anyway. So one mil yeah. per kilo. Per kilo so, per hour for 15 minutes. I think the, the idea of giving um, that half mil per kilo for the first 15 minutes is, mm. is to watch for... Yes. Um, a transfusion reaction, right? So even if you've done a major and a minor cross match and your and your blood type matched, there's still things we can't really adequately test for. So it is recommended that that first 15 minutes, you know, you go kind of slowly, yep. and uh, and that's when you do your you know your monitoring. You're looking for like tachycardia and sudden change in your patient, like they start salivating or they have respiratory distress or they vomit or you know you're looking for stuff like that yeah so but once they, you get after the question that, i have is it, it, so that, that they're talking about four hours of administration that yeah. means that you cannot sedate the cat for that so you put a catheter in and you just let yeah. it drip and then hope that the yeah. cat won't take it out i guess yeah it's like it's like you know giving iv fluids right we usually don't have to keep cats sedated for most cats anyway for iv fluids so yeah you do want to give it fairly slowly um, over, I, I mean, small amounts, probably two hours, large amounts, more like four hours, but it does depend on the patient's need, right? If this mm. patient is in a, in an acute crisis and they've lost a lot of I blood, agree. you're going to give it back faster, right? That's versus if it's, yeah. Versus if it's a, a patient who has become anemic slowly, over a period of time. So they've been adapting to lower and lower PCVs until that, like they couldn't tolerate it anymore. Those are the guys that you're, you know, you're going to give it quite slowly um, to, and you're going to try to get over um, about, you know, the chronic cases, I think four hours is a good, mm -hmm. is good. If you're um, crashing for want of a blood product, you're looking at more like one to two hours. Yeah. And to finalize this wonderful podcast, there are some awesome um, forms that you can use uh, and keep an eye on the cat. And they're already there. So you can just print them out and use them immediately in your clinic. And then there is a nice table about transfusion reactions and how they're, they're fine. So I think that yeah. is something that we're not going to talk about, but it is pretty clear what they, uh, they explain. So in general, I think this is an excellent, excellent paper and we yes. appreciate isfm for doing this so these consensus papers are always amazing yes uh, and it takes a lot of work it does but you know this is one that it, it's a type of thing that you'll keep around because mm. you know most of us don't transfuse cats like every day or even every week so when you need that something like this it's really cool to be able to go and pull out sort of the latest practical recommendations all in one document so it's the type of like keep nearby Type of thank you isfm yes thank you isfm good job yes exactly <laughs> so this was uh, the per podcast thank you dr susan yes well thank you yola live in las vegas <laughs> and, and you know what
if you like what you hear, you can give us a five-star rating. Um, and you can go to our website, perpodcast.net, uh, where we have all the information, although we're a little bit behind, Dr. Susan. Yes, I know. Dr. Susan has been editing the second edition of her textbook, and she is, and Angie's been working very hard in her practice during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. But yes, it's on my to-do list. And talking about textbook, Dr. Yola has just finished his textbook. Yay! Absolutely. The cutting edge. (laughs) The cutting edge is now available. Yes. And uh, yeah. And where do people get it, Yola? Uh, Just to globalflatinarysurgery.net. And you can download it for free. And I'm so excited about it. And maybe we should talk about it another time because we're out of time. But uh, yeah, please go there and download it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep, so we'll talk to you next week. Yes, we'll have. Uh, who knows what it'll be next week, but it'll be something. It will be something. Awesome. <laughs> See Bye. you later. Dr. Susan Little is a feline medicine specialist with two cat-only hospitals in Ottawa, Canada. She is best known as an international speaker and as the author and editor of two textbooks, The Cat, Clinical Medicine and Management, and August, Consultations in Feline Internal Medicine. Along with three cats, she also admits to owning two dogs. And you can follow her on social media with the handle at CatPetSusan. Dr. Yola Kirpenstein is a diplomate of the American and European College of Veterinary Surgeons and a big cat fan. His specialties range from surgical oncology and reconstruction to minimally invasive surgery. He is the author of two textbooks on basic and reconstructive surgery. Did you know he was allergic to cats? Yola works currently at Hills Pet Nutrition. You can follow him on social media with the handle at GVETSX. This episode is made possible by the generous sponsorship of the Take the Pledge Against Struvites in Pets Facebook page. Did you know there are three easy steps to treat bladder stones in cats with lower urinary tract signs? Step one is to take a radiograph, and if there is a stone present in the bladder, step two is to use the Minnesota Urolith app for iPhone and Android to determine the most likely type of stone. Step three is to treat the cat for at least two to three weeks with an appropriate diet and see if the stone gets smaller. If so, keep feeding that diet until the stone is completely gone on follow-up radiographs. If not, check compliance with the owner and look for alternative treatment options. Join veterinarians worldwide to take the pledge not to remove struvite stones by surgery anymore. The opinions of this podcast are those by Dr. Susan Little and Dr. Yola Kirpenstein. Veterinary medicine is a complex profession, and often there are multiple diagnostic and therapeutic options for different disease processes. If you're a pet owner with questions, please go to your local veterinarian. If you're a veterinary professional, ask your questions on our Instagram page, at per podcast. 